everybody and welcome to Coach's Corner. I have a really fantastic, informative interview with Dr. Will Cole today. I'll tell you a little bit more about him in a moment, but I really think you're going to get a lot of value from this discussion with him. I like to bring on health and wellness experts, especially people who really know their stuff and have the training and also the clinical experience to give you the information that's helpful. When it comes to health and wellness, I think there's so much information and often so much conflicting information information that it's hard to know who to listen to. So I try to bring some of the best people on this show. And what I love about most of the guests that I brought on the show when it comes to health and wellness is they always bring you back to your own intuition because you truly are your own greatest healer. And often we need the help of someone that has a little more knowledge or training than we do. But even our intuition is the one that really guides us to the correct people. So let me tell you a little bit more about Dr. Will. Dr. Will Cole is a leading functional medicine expert who consults people around the world and locally in Pittsburgh. He specializes in clinically investigating the underlying factors in chronic disease and then customizing health programs. Dr. Cole was named one of the top 50 functional medicine and integrative doctors in the nation and is the co-host of the Goop Fellows podcast. His previous book is the international bestseller Ketotarian and his new book, The Inflammation Spectrum, goes on sale October 15th so you can go on Amazon and pre-order now if you're listening to this before October 15th. Before we dive into the show, I want to talk to you about an incredible offer from Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community for creators. With more than 25,000 classes in design, business, and more, you'll discover countless ways to fuel your curiosity, creativity, and career. Take classes in social media marketing, mobile photography, creative writing, or even illustration. Whether you're looking to discover a new passion, start a side hustle, or gain new professional skills, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. I've used Skillshare, logged on to some of their classes, and they really get amazing experts. I love the pace of their classes. I love the depth of information. It's completely digestible, and there's so much content. So join the millions of students already sharing on Skillshare today with this special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for free. That's awesome. Skillshare is offering over it and on with it listeners two months of unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for free. To sign up, go to skillshare.com slash over it. Again, skillshare.com slash over it and start learning today. And now on to my interview with Dr. Will Cole. Dr. Cole, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. So I want to first start by asking you, because I mentioned on the show to people, go see a naturopath, go see a functional medicine doctor, go see an ND. Can you define what is the difference between an MD, an ND, and a functional medicine doctor? Great question. As you said, I'm a functional medicine practitioner. My day job is consulting patients around the world. We primarily have a virtual functional medicine practice via webcam consultation. So what that is and what I do, the space of functional medicine, if you had to compare it with conventional medicine, and let me just say, first off, I mean, my space of functional medicine, there are MDs, there are NDs, there are DCs and acupuncturists, oriental medicine doctors, naturopaths, all different schools within medicine and healthcare, 
they can be functional medicine practitioners, meaning their postdoctorate education and training is in functional medicine. So same with myself, my postdoctorate education and training is in functional medicine and clinical nutrition. So the space of functional medicine, their doctorate training can be different things, but their postdoctorate education would be functional medicine to become a functional medicine practitioner. So the gold standard, or I should say the the governing body of certification and training in this space is the Institute for Functional Medicine, IFM. That's who's trained myself and my team. That's who also has trained the doctors at the Cleveland Clinic's Functional Medicine Center. So that's, and there are other definitely schools too that do the same training and certification, but IFM definitely is the most, I would say, reputable and well-respected in the space of functional medicine. But if I had to compare it to conventional medicine, functional medicine, first thing we do is that we interpret labs using a thinner reference range. So uh, anybody that's listening will know, hey, when I get my lab, I have my number on the lab, my numbers, my biomarkers, and then I'm being compared to this reference range, this X to Y interval of numbers that's considered quote unquote normal. But that reference range is based on a statistical bell curve average of the population of that lab. People that predominantly go to labs are people with health problems, sadly. Mm. So, so there's a lot of people that go and they say, well, I have these symptoms. I'm, I'm intuitive enough to know this isn't normal for me. And the labs come back, quote unquote, normal. And the doctor says, yeah, everything's fine. You're just depressed. Here's an antidepressant. Right. Or, you just need to meditate. You're too stressed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're too stressed. You're a new mom. You just need to lose weight. You're, you're getting older. All these sort of well-intentioned reasons as why somebody could be having symptoms despite normal labs. What they're unintentionally telling you is that you're a lot like the other people with health problems that make up the population of the interval that you, reference range that you're being compared to. So in functional medicine, we're not comparing people to people who go to labs are comparing you to optimal wellness. So that's the functional range where your body is functioning the best. It's standardized. And then that's the first thing we do. The second thing, we run more comprehensive labs. So we're looking at the root causes of why people feel the way that they do. Why are they going through these health issues like hormonal imbalances or autoimmune issues or neurological issues like anxiety and depression and fatigue or digestive problems? These are the people that I I consult and uh, I'm, I'm concerned with, or my, my, my concern as a functional medicine practitioner is what are the pieces to the puzzle? So looking at toxicity and hormonal imbalances and microbiome gut issues or uh, chronic infections, whatever is appropriate from a health history standpoint, we want to investigate. And then the third thing we do differently is we realize we're all different and you, there's not a one size fits all cookie cutter approach to getting well. And you could have a hundred people with the same diagnosis code, like a hundred people with low thyroid symptoms. And what works for one person may not be right for the next person. And we want to see, okay, what's actually driving this? And there's so many variables. And this concept of bio-individuality is so important uh, because there is no broad sweeping statements, very little broad sweeping statements, I should say, when it comes to chronic health problems. So that's in a nutshell what functional medicine is. We're, we're evidence-based alternative medicine. Again, the Cleveland Clinic has a functional medicine center. And then there are private uh, clinicians as well that have clinics where we consult patients independently as well. So for people listening, what kind of things would send you to a functional medicine doctor? In other words, who should be looking for someone who labels himself or has the training in functional medicine? 
Well, I, I think there's two groups of people that I consult. I mean, the main categories of people I consult are people with autoimmune issues, people with autoimmune type issues, like things that look autoimmune but aren't diagnosed with autoimmune issues, hormonal problems, neurological issues like anxiety and depression and fatigue and brain fog, and digestive issues, so like <laughs> IBS and things like that. Honestly, Dr. Cole, like I feel like that's everybody. <laughs> I mean, it's just I, especially with people listening to the show. I feel like it's harder to be healthy today with yeah. the pesticides we're exposed to, air pollution, the quality of food. We were just in Europe for our wedding and both Steph and I noticed our digestion and how mm -hmm. we could eat things that we can't eat here. We didn't have bloating. We didn't have gas. Our digestion was amazing. Our sleep was amazing. And the day we came back to the States, both of our stomachs we didn't have off, but we noticed the difference, you know, and that's mm -hmm. just one small example, but I wanted to ask you, and I'm sorry for interrupting you. So if I, there's anything you want to, any thought you want to finish, please go back. But do you feel, especially as a, as a medical practitioner, that it's just harder to be healthy today? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And, and to kind of jump off what I was saying before is that it's two groups of people. It's people that know there's something wrong and they've tried a lot of things and they're still struggling. And there's people that want to optimize their health. I mean, we're used to complicated cases that have done a lot. They're very well read patients. They've been their own health advocates in many ways and, and had to be in many ways because they haven't found answers for themselves in a conventional setting or even an alternative setting. And they're looking to see what's missing from their health puzzle and taking it to the next level to get some functional medicine guidance and, and support and, and perspective on what's going on here. But to your point, I think that's absolutely the case uh, for many people as that the cases that I'm seeing clinically are over time, they're getting more complicated, but also you can look at the statistics and see the same thing. You see the rise of autoimmune conditions, the rise of these multiple chemical sensitivities, the rise of these food reactivities where people are having reactions to the most like seemingly benign, like healthy foods causing them a problem. And we have a, a vast a society of people that can't even digest vegetables and can't even digest salads or anything like this before where a generation or two ago was not seen. And that's just a food reactivities, let alone all the other variables to consider. And it is a confluence of different factors. It's, it's our exposure to toxins. It's our soil uh, depletion of nutrients, the amount of toxicity uh, inundated in our food supply and the crossbreeding of our food supply, the hybridization of our food supply, uh, largely this mismatch between genetics and epigenetics and research estimates that our genetics haven't changed in 10,000 years, but yet all of these things in our world these, these epigenetic factors have changed very dramatically in a very short period of time. And this growing disparity between genetics and epigenetics is really at the heart of, of a lot of researchers looking at the explaining as to at least to some degree the, the rise of chronic inflammatory health issues because the commonality between all these health issues is inflammation. And that's really what I've been immersing myself in for the past 11 years of obviously consulting patients with these issues, but now like getting it out to the average person that, you know, may not be my patient, but wants to inform themselves and equip themselves with tools to improve their life. And that's why I released my second book, The Inflammation Spectrum, to educate people on this. While 
we see the rise of chronic health problems, and that's sobering to look at the statistics. I mean, 50 million Americans have an autoimmune condition. Millions more are somewhere on this autoimmune inflammation spectrum. And then the rates of anxiety and depression are, are staggering. The rates of fatigue and diabetes, it's, it's so sobering. But the other side is that there's so much you can do. And my job is to give people tools to improve these things once we know what's going on. Mm. Well, let's, let's talk about inflammation. First, can you please define what it is? Sure. So inflammation is a product of our immune system. So our immune system uses inflammation to fight viruses and bacteria and kind of just protect the body. It's our body's defense mechanism. So in, when it's in balance, inflammation is actually really important and we need it. And healthy, modulated, balanced inflammation is needed for human health. The problem is when inflammation is out of balance. So it's like a forest fire burning in perpetuity. That's that's an issue because it's the breaking of the Goldilocks principle, not too high, not too low, but just right. And that applies to inflammation, that applies to our hormones, that applies to our gut microbiome and bacteria. It's all about balance and it even applies to an environmental level too. And I think that uh, when there's a breaking of that balance, that's when we have problems. And again, inflammation is that sort of driving force to a lot of different health issues where people typically will think of inflammation. They think of arthritis or like sore muscles and joints, which is that's certainly inflammation, or they may think of a migraine or headache, which certainly that's inflammation. But they don't think of inflammation as its relationship to in its relationship to diabetes or heart disease, cancer and autoimmune conditions and to the mental health issues that we're facing as a society. Mm -hmm. So you look at anxiety and depression and brain fog. There's a whole field of research in the scientific literature referred to as the cytokine model of cognitive function, uh, basically how inflammation impacts how our brain works. And you look at the ubiquity of this. But. I mean, like, like you said earlier, it's like you, you can, it's hard to find someone not impacted by these mm -hmm. health issues, but you know, ubiquity shouldn't in this case equate to normalcy. And I think these issues are largely overcomable and reversible and improvable things. So we shouldn't settle for anything less. And mm -hmm. of course there's exception to that rule, but the overwhelming majority of people can decrease the severity and the frequency of their issues dramatically through lifestyle changes, through functional medicine and th the things that I, I talk about and write about. Mm. Okay. We're, we're going to get to that because everybody wants to know what those things are. Before we do, what causes inflammation? What are some of the foods that cause inflammation, emotions that can cause it, daily stressors that can cause it? Can you outline some of the key things that you see cause infl unhealthy inflammation in the body? Sure. So the main category is the things you want to consider, and we have to look at it from a functional medicine perspective, is are two terms. There's upstream and downstream, meaning that there's something uh, before and there's something downstream from, from the source. So uh, something is upstream from inflammation. As you had su suggested, there's something driving inflammation, but then because the body's so brilliantly interconnected, inflammation in one area can beget inflammation in other areas too. So some of the main drivers of inflammation in our world today are their food supply, exposure to toxins, stress, a lack of sleep, and chronic infections. And that's like gut, 
issues, viral infections, bacterial co-infections, things like Lyme disease and biotoxins at large. So that those are the main things that I see uh, in my clinic. And when we start with food, because of what's going on with people, with our food supply and the impact that's having on our gut microbiome and our gastrointestinal health, people are having reactions and higher inflammation levels from just about every food out there. So even healthy foods can be problematic. And that's really the, the, um, the conversation that I'm having in the inflammation spectrum. The book is, is looking at and finding out what your body loves and hates. And there are no hard and fast rules when it comes to this magic diet that's going to cure all your problems and that works for everybody. So I really teach people in the book to, to formulate to their own food medicine plan through being in touch with their body and having uh, an emotional, intellectual, spiritual connection with themselves to see how they eat so they can be, eat more intuitively. But you have to calm inflammation first to even have intuition because when things are inf inflamed, when there's inflammation throughout the body, that's imbalance. And it's hard to differentiate between intuition and something as a result of the imbalance, meaning is it intuition or is it hangriness? Is it intuition or hormonal imbalance? Is it intuition or gastrointestinal microbiome imbalance? You have to create some sort of semblance, at least to some degree, about amount of balance so you can get a clear enough perception and clarity and discernment to have food peace, to have food uh, clarity as to what's going on here. Uh, but if you want to pick like the most common foods that people like, if you had to name like the low hanging culprits, it would be grains and mainly conventional grains, but all grains for some people. And that's going to be things like wheat and oat and spelt and rye and barley and things like that. So both gluten containing grains and non gluten containing grains. And you can talk about the spraying, of course, that's a factor. So you mentioned going on vacation in Europe. I definitely see that with patients is that the food supply in Europe causes less problems in mm -hmm. general. Than, than the food supply in the United States. It's something I talk about at length in the inflammation spectrum because I see it clinically all the time. But then we also have to look at the other caveat in that discussion is that it also, I think, has to do with decreased stress on vacation and the impact that stress has on our biochemistry as well. It's probably a bit of both, the glyphosate and stress. And the, so grains, one thing. Second would be sugar. And in all its various forms, if it's pretty sounding euphemisms on the healthy food, even uh, even the healthier forms of sugar still ultimately is sugar, even though it may be better, doesn't mean it's optimal for you. And third, I would say would be high omega-6 oils. Those are going to be things like canola oil and, and soybean oil, these industrial seed higher omega-6 oils, which we need omega-6. We needed a balance of omega-3, 6, and 9. The problem is the American diet as it stands today or the modern Western diet at large is largely omega-6 dominant. And that out of balance of that 3, 6, and 9 omega ratio uh, will drive inflammation levels. And then the uh, fourth would be dairy. And again, uh, there's good, better forms of dairy and, and more problematic forms of dairy. And it's largely what we've done to the dairy supply more than the dairy itself uh, with the crossbreeding of cows and the uh, subtypes of the beta A1 casein and the beta A2 casein. And back to my earlier point of this disparity between our genetics and the world around us. Well, the old form of casein, the more ancient uh, OG casein, if you will, is beta A2 casein. But most of the cows in the West are beta A1 casein, which is 
what research is pointing to is causing this inflammatory response with dairy versus the A2 milks so or the more ancient caseins is more in alignment with our biochemistry and it's less mm. problematic. And of course, the fermenting of dairy can uh, help to improve it, like kefirs or kefirs and yogurts and things like that can be helpful and cheeses. But even those can be problems for some people. Mm. Uh, so that's that's what I call the core four, the more likely to cause problems in people, or what I see from my clinical experience of consulting patients, as well as the research points to this as well. Uh, and then there's four more above the core four that I call eliminate in the book, or the a ATE and eliminate is the number H is for people to remember. Uh, the four more would be nightshades. So that's going to be peppers, tomatoes, eggplants, goji berries, white potatoes. And the second would be nuts and seeds, then legumes, which are beans, and then eggs. Again, all of those eight foods that I just mentioned, they work great for some people and not for other people. I like and do really well with a lot of those foods I just mentioned. So I'm not saying people need to avoid all those foods. What I'm saying is we need to explore on an individual basis what you do good on because some people can do good with good with some of those foods, some people not. Like I love eggs and I love tomatoes. I love ketchup, but not everybody does good with those two foods. So I want the, the conversation that I'm having in the inflammation spectrum is to find out what your body loves and what your body hates and dumping dieting dogma and food shame and orthorexia and this obsession around one way of eating for everybody. Yeah. Let's find out what works for you. So I, I love that. And I couldn't agree more in terms of knowing and listening to your body. What are some signs? Like, obviously, if you eat something and you get diarrhea, that's a sign that you probably yeah. have a, or you get a rash. What are some of the more subtle signs that you are having an inflammatory response to something so that you can start to get some clues from your body? Great question. And this is kind of the first part of the inflammation spectrum book is inflammation exists on a continuum from low grade fatigue, background, anxiety, mild bloating, mild constipation, mild looser stools. That's the kind of one end of the inflammation spectrum to the other end of the inflammation spectrum where it's the overt inflammatory symptoms and the diagnosis codes. And then there's everything in between. But I, if you had to go from like your head down to your toes, like the things that you could think of that uh, could be signs of inflammation and can be connected to food or can be connected to some other stressor, whether it's mental, emotional stress, whether it's a toxic relationship, whether, I mean, because remember, I mean, stress and this external stuff, that's junk food for your soul. So you have to look at not just the food that you're eating or partaking in, but what kind of other things could you be partaking in on a men mental, emotional level that could be driving inflammation levels as well. It's not just about food. It's about stress and toxins and these other things that I talked about. But some signs that the body's giving you a check engine light, that something's off, that something's out of balance, that something inflammation is higher than it should be and behaving like it shouldn't be would be fatigue and brain fog, anxiety, and depression, whether that's mild or severe. Hormonal imbalances would be one sign. So your cycle being off or being irritable or having sort of this roller coaster of emotions is one another sign. Brittle hair and nails, 
I, I talk about like even those these obscure signs and symptoms would be like the outer third of your eyebrows thinning. That can be a sign that the thyroid's imbalanced, which has many inflammatory components along the thyroid uh, metabolism uh, cascade pathway. And then we can look at digestion. Of course, that's the most common one when it comes to food reactivities. So it's going to be bloating and constipation, diarrhea, uh, even mild ones, even not going to the bathroom every day or going more than two times a day in looser stools. That can be definitely a sign of inflammation. And then skin issues. So skin reactions, breakouts, hives, rashes, uh, that can be a sign. Dry skin can be a sign. And then uh, brittle nails, which I think I mentioned already. But so those would be the most common signs of inflammation. I, I put a lot of this stuff in the quiz in the book, but I actually put the quiz also online for free if people want to just take it. And to find out where the inflammation levels may be, they can kind of check in with their body. It's at uh, drwillcole.com if people want to take the quiz. Awesome. Awesome. I think that that's so important to really be in tune with your body and to also not do the one size fits all approach. I mean, I was so in the the paleo camp and didn't eat fruit because I had fruit fear. Like the medical medium talks about fruit fear and fruit works really well for my body. It really, really does. And it felt, it feels so good to get that back in my body. I also did intermittent fasting because I thought that was better for metabolism and just overall health. But honestly, now that I have something, when I get up in the morning or have fruit before I go and exercise, I have better recovery. I'm not sleepier later in the day and it's actually easier for me to keep weight off. So I'm just sharing that because I'm just echoing everything that you said is that we have to really do what works for us versus Mm -hmm following one one size fits all approach. So so thank you for sharing that. Of course. Um, what about like postnasal drip, mucusy, is that an inflammation sign as well? Oh yeah, certainly. Yeah. yeah. That's a good one to mention. Thank you for mentioning it. Yeah. Congestion, postnasal drip, nasal irritation, like a mucus down the throat. Yeah, those are all important mm-hmm. things to consider too. <laughs> well, planes much, must inflame me because for three days, every time I'm on a plane, I get post-nasal trip every single yeah. time. I uh, know it's a, it does a number on people. I think it's the air pressure, the mm-hmm. air quality, and plus changing time zones and everything and the altitude can impact you too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to dive in a little bit in the time we have left into how emotions affect our health because emotions and things from our past, be it difficult or traumatizing, are things that come up a lot in the show. And I am, my mission and my passion is to help people really heal, uh, not just in their present, but really heal from things in their past, because I notice that's affecting their present in a lot of ways. So as someone you know, who's working with people on a daily basis and is looking at so many different health symptoms and struggles and diseases that people have, how much do you think emotion and past trauma or past difficult things that have been stressful affect someone's physical well-being? Oh my goodness. This is such a major important point that not enough people talk about. I mean, you look at on one level, on a clinical level, I see this all the time and it's a major component to our uh, process with patients is that, of course, we have to look at the, the the lab data and measure the biomarkers and get these things optimized and all that stuff. But a part of getting those biomarkers optimized, getting those labs optimized, which those labs are, of course, a reflection of why somebody feels the way that they do, 
is the impact that the mental emotional health has on physiology. And we'd like to separate the two. I mean, mental health isn't separate from physical health. Mental health is physical health and emotional and spiritual and mental health impact physiology. And then our physiology impacts our mind and our emotions. So it's bi-directional and it's such a major component to a functional me medicine. And it's a major component to me getting patients on a path to wellness as, and this is not just seen, uh, in my clinic. Uh, it's also reflected in the scientific literature as well Is that people with autoimmune conditions, people that have these flares of autoimmunity, uh, research shows are compared to control groups have had more stressful traumatic life events compared to control groups. So this is something that I see, but the research shows as well is that it's not just about food. Mm -hmm. I mean, toxic life experiences, traumas is held in the body in many ways. And at the very least can trigger uh, the immune system to upregulate and to overreact and cause this inflammatory storm. And throughout the book, the inflammation spectrum, I compare inflammation to a storm because that's how I see it impacting people's lives. Um, and my job is to find the drivers to the storm and calm it down. And part of the drivers of the storm for many people are healing their past wounds, uh, their mental, emotional wounds. And if you, even if you look at the mechanism of autoimmunity and these inflammatory problems, it's when the immune system turns against the body. And when the immune system thinks the virus of bacteria, uh, thinks the different parts of the body is a virus of bacteria and attacks it, uh, well, what's the mechanism there? I, I see it. Obviously, we're seeing it. We can measure that on a lab and see autoimmunity and see that's going on on a physical level. But you also see what's going on in their life mm -hmm. on a mental, emotional level. They've have turned against themselves in many ways, and they feel betrayed by their own body. They they fear that they, they, they're afraid of food. Food is their enemy in many ways because of how it's making them feel. And it's creating the sort of vicious cycle of mental, emotional trauma impacting physical uh, issues. And then the physical is impact our mental and emotional, because when you feel lousy, it's going to impact your emotions and really cause more trauma. So it is um, this really big vicious cycle of inflammation and trauma, inflammation, trauma. So it's paramount to say the least to uh, really untangle this pain and this bad relationship or the hurt relationship, wounded relationship between the self and the body and the self and food. It's, it's so important. And what have you seen works? You've seen a lot of people, you're helping them on the physical level in terms of people healing trauma and getting over the emotional stressors. What have you seen has been effective? How have people done that? Well, I, it's definitely meeting person where they're at. And that's the duality of functional medicine. There's the science and looking at the labs and the data and being evidence-based. And then the other side of that duality is the art of functional medicine and the art of holding space for the person and listening to them and letting them know they are heard and they are validated and seeing the space in between the words and seeing the life in between the labs and seeing really what's driving this person and really making sure that whatever information you're giving them is their they even have a vessel for because a lot of times doctors are like, well, this is the way to do it. And they're just, they have really no communication skills and empathy to even making this digestible and absorbable on a mental, emotional level for this person. So that's definitely a major part of just being an empathic 
clinician, an empathic practitioner is making this doable. So we lean into just like a doctor would give, you know, a protocol or regimen out, which we would do, obviously, from a functional medicine standpoint, we also have to almost treat things like mindfulness meditation and these different techniques of inner body awareness and the different techniques of inner, uh, healing past traumas as you would a mm-hmm. natural medicine protocol. Mm-hmm. And, and this is not just like a nice sounding like Instagram quote. This is actually like real practice of untangling the past traumas, if, if that's what we're talking about, or ever, even if it's a current toxic relationship or an unhealthy work environment, how is stress both present and past impacting your physiology? Mm. Uh, so it's, it's a really a, a mixture of a lot of different tools. And we have to have as many tools in our toolbox as possible, not just on a physical level, but a mental, emotional, and spiritual level to give appropriate to the person, whatever they're ready for, whatever is clinically appropriate, whatever resonates with them. So we do, we do different, uh, mindfulness practices, different spiritual practices, different mantras, different uh, acts of stillness and things like yoga and Tai Chi and things like this. And we're diligent with it and they're building their mindfulness muscle. And it's like going to the gym of just really showing up for themselves to start healing. Uh, so that's really what it is. It's consistency. It's consistency. It's accountability. It's giving them a support system and structure to start to uh, grow in that awareness and that they aren't their hurt. They aren't their trauma. They aren't their, their thoughts and emotions. They are obser- the observing awareness of that uh, and to really be rooted in the present moment because a lot of times anxiety and depression, they are really a lack of that. So we have to um, really get that person to that place, yeah. which doesn't happen overnight, obviously, oh, but yeah. it's something to look for. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's my work is really helping people be free of the the trauma and the physical, emotional, because I know it's so much easier to heal things physically when the emotional root or corresponding thing is there, you know, and, and I think too, self-love is a big part of healing and seeing your body as the ally. I mean, I, I finally figured out that Epstein-Barr virus was what I had symptoms of autoimmune stuff and my thyroid was off for years. And, you know, everybody told me, oh, you're just getting older. Oh, it's just stress. Oh, this, that. But it it wasn't, there was actually something physical there. And a big part of my own healing was forgiving my body and not thinking my body was the enemy, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, and taking um, ownership of that again and not looking at, I have to fight something within me, but how do I Mm -hmm. create the most optimal environment so my body can do what it knows how to do, which is to heal. Totally. Something that's a a mantra in our clinic that's so important for our work is that you can't heal a body you hate. You can't shame your way into wellness. And people think they're going to bring in this baggage and somehow heal by eating healthy foods. It doesn't work like that. Uh, At the very best, you're going to see a little bit of improvement, but then be stuck at a plateau because you have to look at these other components that are keeping you back from optimal Mm. wellness. Mm. Well, thank you so much for for the work that you do in the world. I can feel your passion and your knowledge and your empathy. And that's a trifecta for a healer. So thank you so very, very much because I know you're helping a lot of people. Thank you so much. I'm sure people got a tremendous value from this. Please tell people where they can get the book and where they can learn more from you. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much again for having me. Everything is at drwillcole.com, D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E. They can order the inflammation spectrum there. The links to Amazon and Barnes & Noble and all the independent bookstores are there. Uh, And we offer a free webcam or health evaluation if people want to get a functional medicine perspective on their case. But yeah, everything's there at drwillcole.com. Awesome. And for someone who is just really struggling with their health right now and have been to a ton of doctors and just feels a little hopeless, helpless, what would you tell that person? I would say reach out. Don't, it's, it can be very isolating to be in that place, especially when with these chronic health issues, a lot of times people quote unquote look normal. And that's what people are told like, Oh, I didn't realize you were that sick is to really not be isolated and reach out into a community, whether that's a a social media group of people going through similar things or reaching out to a practitioner or a doctor in this space that understands what you're going through or a coach that of someone that understands what you're going through to not be isolated. Because, um, even if it's someone going through what you're going through, that's that's healing and cathartic in and of itself because you are not alone and you can toss ideas around of what's worked and what hasn't worked. Um, and then, of course, you can take it to the next level, too, with a professional. But I think the isolation breeds more destruction in people's lives when mm. they're going through these issues. Definitely agree with that. <laughs> and definitely agree with that. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Cole. And then we will link the book up in the show notes so everybody can go and get a copy of that. And I'm sure people will be taking the quiz on your, your website as well. Thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. Thanks for having me. 